0: Affiliate means if I put a link in say a video description, if you click on that link and then buy something, I will get a small percentage. Usually it's between one and 4%. So it's not a huge deal. If you spend a dollar, I'll get 4 cents or 1 cent. My biggest and most successful affiliate relationship is with Amazon, just because everybody loves to buy from Amazon. So that's usually the affiliate program that I'll use. And I'll just make a video and then I'll put a link in the description. I'll let people know, hey, if you're interested in this, check out the link in the description if you want to pick one up for yourself. And I leave it at that, but that does pretty well for me. And then I do agree that Instagram and others, other platforms are becoming their own unique distribution models that are recognized by brands now. So you'll see hashtag ad on an Instagram post or on a tweet or even on a Facebook post TikTok is coming up huge now as well. Yep. And this is why I've said for years that if you are an influencer or you want to become one, and when I say influencer, I mean, if you want to do content creation for a living, that's basically what I mean. Not that you're just influencing people to buy stuff. But if you want to make content for a living, you really should focus on diversifying your content. Welcome to Geared Up, brought to you by National Car Rental. I'm Andrew Edwards.
1: I am John Rettinger.
0: Geared Up is your weekly look at the world of consumer electronics, gadgets, and gaming sometimes. And John, this week is an interesting week in the world of gadgets in particular.
1: It is a exciting week and a interesting week and perhaps a paradigm
0: shifting week. Ooh, ooh, there you go, that's a nice tease. So this week we're recording the show on a Wednesday. So today's the fifth, but we're not gonna release this show until the 11th for a very specific reason. That reason being that the first topic we're talking about is something we're not technically allowed to talk about publicly until the 11th. And that would be the new Samsung Galaxy S20 from an official hands-on capacity.
1: You've had hands-on. By the time we record this, I have have not yet had my hands-on different time scheduled, but I have a lot of questions like I imagine people do. And perhaps you are the man that can answer (laughs) said questions.
0: I can answer a few of them. So in the way this works, just so people know, in this episode, actually, after the break, we're also going to be going into some behind the scenes of what it takes to be an influencer and how we do what we do. And one thing, the way this works is Samsung or other companies will have an announcement date for, for a product to have an event. And a lot of times they will invite us out to see these products prior so that we're able to form some impressions and also more importantly, put our thoughts and videos, articles, podcasts, whatever it is that you do, put that stuff together and have it ready for the day that these announcements take place. Yes. So I went to New York to get my hands on and you're going to be going to the San Francisco uh, hands on portion, which is going to happen tomorrow. Correct.
1: That's how all the all these news outlets and YouTubers get these professional videos. You know, the second a product gets announced, it's right. not uh, like we're producing those videos the day the day of. The <laughs> impossible.
0: Yeah. So speaking of the Galaxy S twenty, I did meet with them yesterday. I did get hands on the mm-hmm. S twenty, the S twenty plus, and the S twenty Ultra. Really nice series of phones, like hardware wise, just really nice. The Ultra, which is a 6.9-inch display phone. When you hear that, you think, wow, that is going to be huge. But Samsung makes their phones in such a way that those curved sides around the front and back with the very, very minimal bezel around the screen, it was negligibly, it is bigger, but it's like negligibly bigger than an iPhone 11 Pro Max. So that was my main thing. How did
1: it feel versus the Note 10 Plus? Because that was a phone that I had come from before, and that's what a 5.8 inch screen, I believe. So that's already pretty big. Yeah. How does how does this compare?
0: I feel like it felt really nice. Now I didn't hold those two like next to each other at the same time for a comparison. But what I will say is that the second I picked up and held the S20 Ultra, I was relieved. Like that was my first feeling was like, oh good. Like okay. it, it isn't this behemoth that you might have been thinking it would be. And again, it is a big phone. It's a 6.9 inch phone, but yeah, they made it in such a way that it's comfortable in the hand. And that's really what matters. I mean, listen, that that is absolutely what matters.
1: But so I want to talk about the ultra more, but there are other phones, you know, that got announced and and shown, right? S20 and S20 plus. Correct. So what's your summation? The ultra is probably, you know, reserved for folks that the, the, the highest of the high end. Right. So what about the S20 for everybody else?
0: You know the S20 is interesting. 4,000 milliamp hour battery. I li- Very nice. I like the sound of that. 6.2 inch display. So pretty large display. Yeah. 120 Hertz display across the line. You have to enable it though. It's 60 Hertz by default. 60? So if you want to take a little, by default? 60 Hertz by default. Yeah. By default, just a 60 Hertz display. Okay. But if you want to take that little battery, and again, these batteries this year across the board are bigger. So it is an impact on battery life, but you have a bigger battery anyway. You can enable the 120 Hertz. How did it it look? It looks good. So the caveat with that one is a couple of things. Okay, It does 3x optical zoom on the S20 and S20 Plus instead of the 10x optical zoom that the Ultra does. And then it does 30x digital zoom where the Ultra can do 100x digital zoom. Okay, so that's one difference between you know the where you go to Ultra versus the others. There's a lot of things that it does do though. It does 8K video recording at 24 frames per second. Snapdragon 865, baby. That's right. You can take any still from an 8K video and turn it into a 33 megapixel photo. Any still from the video, just right on the device. It has this really cool mode across the board, all three. Um, This is what impressed me actually most. I think. They have this mode called single take mode for the camera. And what this is is you point at whatever it is you want to take a photo of, but let's say it's a pet or a or a toddler or something that's not like just still and posing for a picture, even though it does work with stills too. Okay. You hit the shutter for 10 seconds, it's recording. It's using all the cameras. Okay. It's taking, and basically what you're supposed to do is during that 10 seconds, don't stay still. Like, you know, kind of move it around as if you're getting different angles of a photo. When you're done, what this thing is doing is it's it's trying to take the best photo, it's trying to take a good ultra-wide, it's trying to take a good live focus, it's trying to take a good AI filter photo, a smart crop, and it's trying to do a forward-backward boomerang video, a fast-forward video, and an original video. Now, depending on the scene... That's quite a party happening. Right, right. Now, depending on the scene, your minimum result of this is going to be... You get two videos. And your maximum result is gonna be you're gonna get 10 photos and four videos. So it just depends on what's and happening. And it's gonna take
1: up like 500 megabytes of
0: storage per time you use it. <laughs> now, <it's laughs> that, that they didn't go into. But imagine if you're like, you're holding, like, this works on uh, the rear camera and the front camera. So okay. imagine either someone's holding a baby or you're holding a baby and you wanna take a selfie, but you know, they're moving around or your dog's moving around, but you wanna get like they're in the middle of something. You wanna capture right. the action. They had a, um, their demo area was they had like a professional juggler that was doing the juggling with bowling pins. So kind of like a clown throwing his hat up, throwing the pins. And so you point this at him, you go into single take mode and you end up with a whole bunch of different pictures. You just kind of move around as he's doing it. You get all these different shots. Not all of them are amazing, but maybe it takes seven or eight different shots and you have five really good ones that you wouldn't have captured yourself because you wouldn't have been able to say. Okay, let me go into ultra-wide and get a picture. Now let me switch over to live focus. Like you have to switch between modes. With this one, it does it all automatically. So this is, again, across the board, and it was really cool.
1: All right, I am intrigued. I wanna, oh, <laughs> you should be. I'm intrigued, but I, I want to back up to the display a little bit. So how yes. do these displays look, especially a 60 hertz display when everything is, especially in that flagship category, it's by default 90 plus?
0: Well, first of all, One caveat would be I use an iPhone as my main device, iPhone 11 Pro Max, that is a 60 Hertz display. So I'm used to a 60 Hertz OLED display. When you switch it over to 120, it's very obvious. It's very noticeable. It is smooth. I mean, you can just tell. Now, one thing I will say, and I don't know if it's just me, but you know, there's those things where you get something new and there's a new feature that you really like. And then within two weeks, it's just like, okay, that's just, it just becomes normal. I feel like that's how the 120 Hertz is going to be. It's going to go from being something that's amazing where you notice how good it is for the first week or two. And then your brain is going to switch to where 120 Hertz just becomes normal. And you go back to a 60 Hertz phone and you're like, oh, this is terrible. Kind of like how high resolution displays went. Sure. You had a low resolution iPhone 4. You were fine with it. No big deal. Display looks great. Or iPhone 3GS, rather. But once you went to retina display on a 4, all of a sudden, the 3GS looked like crap.
1: That's a fair story. Yeah. And I think that the analogy of to HDTVs is probably pretty accurate. But what I will say, at least without having seen it, is it disappointing that it's not at 90 hertz by default on any resolution? And then can go up to 120 if you choose to.
0: I would say, and again, this is a matter of opinion, but I would say for me, the answer would be no. Okay. Quite honestly, let's just be real. If you're shipping this by default at 60, then most people, the vast majority of people are never going to see 120. Okay. Most people are not going to go into the settings and then into display and then into the other, like they're not even going to find it. Yeah. So they're just going to use it out of the box. And it's, I mean, unless you're a display nerd, you're not going to notice it. It's going to be the same display that you've been using, you know, on your last phone, on your Galaxy S10. Yeah. It'll look just as good, if not a little better than the S10.
1: Okay. That's fair. I've I've been... I came from the Note 10 Plus and I just mm-hmm. switched over to the Pixel 4 XL, which does have the 90 hertz display. And I will say I notice it right now, but I'm only a few days in. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what the 120 hertz is going to look like on a Samsung panel, which are always you know, generally very good.
0: They're very good. Now, one other thing, though, the touch sensor is 240 hertz, regardless of if you're in 120 hertz or 60 hertz. Wait, mode. what the is touch sensor? What,
1: is, what, what does that mean, the touch sensor?
0: So, for example... Now this isn't a note phone, but just using this, it'll be an easier example. If this was a Galaxy Note, when you were using the stylus, it would refresh as you're drawing 240 times per second. So smoother touch. So if you scroll on a website, your finger is gonna be tracked 240 times per second on the touch panel, giving you smoother scrolling, for example.
1: All right, well that's interesting.
0: So very good, especially for gaming. Fast response for gaming, very fast response. All phones, all three of these phones support 5G. So there's not a S20 and then an S20 5G separately. So that's all huge. three. OK, well, all that, three are 5G phones because the rumor
1: was they were going to be separate 5G phones. Right. And is it is it 5G millimeter wave 5G subs? Is it all 5G for whatever carrier?
0: The way they've done this is sub six and millimeter wave for the S20 plus and ultra. If you go just S20, then it's just sub six.
1: OK, just sub six. So, so millimeter
0: wave is on the plus and the ultra. You pay a little more for those. You get both flavors of 5G.
1: Interesting. So if you are on what Verizon, you're going to need the plus or the ultra
0: at a minimum at a minimum. Well, Verizon doesn't Verizon have both deployed or do they not? Verizon, I believe, has both. OK, so then no matter which one you get on Verizon, you'll be fine. If you're on T-Mobile, T-Mobile is doing sub six right now nationwide. You're still fine. You get sub six on all three. It's just millimeter wave specifically for the S20 plus and the ultra. One other thing that you will probably be happy about is native built in Google duo on the device. So in the phone dialer and in the contacts app,
1: Google duo
0: is just built in right there. So you don't have to go into the duo app. It's funny that Samsung did that before Google. Right. That's just, <laughs> that's true. Also funny is that only on Samsung galaxy phones Google Duo in full HD video for video chat. Interesting. So I know you're a Duo guy nowadays. I am a Duo guy. So you've got it built right in. I like it. I'm excited to see these
1: tomorrow, to get my yes. hands on them, and to check them out. I'm, I'm going to be switching to one of the S20 line. Uh, now that I've heard that, probably the Plus or the Ultra. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm stoked for it. You know, living in that Android world now. I can, Don't I can't act like it's going to be the I Plus.
0: Can, Just be honest. What's up? Don't act yeah. like it's going to be the plus. We'll see, we'll see. I'm,
1: I'm open to it. You know, we'll see uh, It's going to we'll be the Ultra. We'll see what Samsung sends, but being in the Android <laughs> world now, I'm, I'm loving that I can switch phones whenever
0: I want to. Yes, yes. Pricing real quick. A Little bit of sticker shock here. S20 999.99. 99 S20 Plus 1199.99 and the Ultra 1399.99. Ouch. So, your entry level for the S20 is the $1,000 price point. Yeah. I remember a couple years ago when Apple's high end was $1,000 and they gave you an option of a $699 phone at the lower end and Mm -hmm. people were still mad. Now we're seeing it at the low end, thousand bucks. Taking a page out of Apple's book though, the S10 line will remain and all those phones will get a price drop of $150 across the board. So you can buy last year's phones at a discounted price starting on the 11th, which is the day that these phones get announced. So if that thousand dollar price point is too high for you, but you still have an older S8 or S9, you want to get something newer. The S10 will still be around, which is the first time Samsung has done this.
1: Interesting. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So expensive. There's no E. There's no S20 E version kind of at that lower
0: price point. Yeah, that's right. And I, I imagine the E didn't do too well because it wasn't in stores. You had to buy it from Samsung, like online store. And you didn't, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen one out in the wild other than like other content creators who are reviewing one.
1: Interesting. All right. So S20, I'm, uh, I'm pumped to see it. S20. Do we get
0: any cool colors? Is there an aura glow or something wacky here? Here's what we get. S20, you get cosmic gray, cloud blue, and cloud pink. Mm. All right. And then S20 plus, you get the gray and the blue along with a cosmic black. All and right. then on the Ultra, you get just gray or black. So the, the higher end you get, the more boring the colors become.
1: Uh, no red? No red option no red. red at all?
0: No red that I saw. Boo. Didn't show anything red there. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> so <laughs> these phones get announced on the 11th, and they will go on sale on March 6th. March 6th? All right, so that's kind of a while away. But interesting and exciting. Yep, yep, Galaxy S20. So you're in for it, I'm sure. I'm in for you're it. You're looking forward to this? Excited? Same here. I was actually more excited about it after I got my hands on it, which is sometimes the opposite. Usually I'm excited about something, then I see it, then I'm like, eh, all right, it's fine. But I had lower expectations this time, and I went in, got my hands on the phones, and was came away pleasantly surprised. I feel like this is a, the new Snapdragon, the new features that we're seeing here are enabling new phone features that we have not seen before, and this is going to be one of those years where samsung releases an s device s20 where i'm now looking to apple to see what are you going to do to catch up to this phone in september because you can't just release a small modified version Like i don't want to see an 11s this year you need to like bring it this year because we're seeing a lot of cool stuff coming out um, I on agree. samsung devices so there you have it that was uh the samsung galaxy s20 now again that was just a preview john hasn't even touched one of these phones yet have not next week we will have our in-depth coverage of the S20, our thoughts after using the phone, plus I would assume we're gonna have thoughts on the Galaxy Z Flip as well, the upcoming foldable from Samsung, which they did not have at the pre-briefing. So I have not seen or touched a Galaxy Z Flip and we probably won't until Galaxy Unpacked takes place on February 11th. Okay, coming up after the break, we are going to do a little bit of a chat giving you a behind the scenes of some of what we do as content creators, influencers, whatever you wanna call us, we're gonna pull the curtain back a little bit. That's coming up next on Geared Up. Welcome back to Geared Up, brought to you by National Car Rental. I'm Andrew Edwards, and it is now time for the National Car Rental story of the week as you know geared up is sponsored by national car rental and if you don't know i also do a show with national car rental on youtube called technically speaking where i bring you the latest my picks for the best tech for business travel whether you're business traveling or even whether you're going for leisure travel there's a lot of tech out there that can make your travel more efficient or even more fun you can check these episodes out at the national car.com control center or go to youtube.com slash National Car Rent. The latest tech puts you in the driver's seat. National Car Rentals Emerald Club will keep you there. Welcome back to Geared Up. Once again, big thank you to National Car Rental for sponsoring Geared Up. All right, John. All right. Why don't you take this one away? I I wanted to talk about this
1: because I get this question quite a bit. You know, sometimes I'm sure you do it too. You go to talk to schools, you get questions on Instagram or Twitter, and it's a very simple question. And I think it stems from people not knowing our industry because it's very new. Mm-hmm. And the question is, how do you make money? <laughs> like, yes. how does that whole thing work? I, I see you guys traveling, doing all this crazy stuff, but like, how are you getting paid? Is, is YouTube paying you? How does this work? So I want to take the opportunity. We have the the benefit of having a platform. We have a podcast where we can yeah. talk relatively openly about this. Now, I'm not going to share how much money I make per year or per month, because quite honestly, I don't think that's anybody's business. And I I can't speak for Andrew what he's comfortable saying, but what I can share is how the revenue models for our industry work and how I as an individual have structured my business for revenue and where sort of those revenue streams are, especially now in the wake of Techno Buffalo being sold and sort of a lot of my ways I had diversified being gone. So very interesting. Fair caveats, right? Yes, for sure. Okay, so in a way, YouTube does send a check. Every video that gets uploaded that has monetization turned on, and I believe a channel needs a 1,000 subscribers and 100,000, I don't know, I think watch hours maybe yes. of time to be able to monetize your channel. And what monetize means is Google's putting ads on it anyway, but you get a piece of that revenue from your video. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That money fluctuates throughout the year. You know, generally quarter one, quarter two, not so good. Quarter three gets better. Q4, everybody's geared up for the holidays. It's awesome. And then it's cyclical again. For tech in particular. Yeah, that money for me, and Andrew might be different, is nice money on top. That is such a small piece of my whole revenue pie that I don't put much stake in the AdSense revenue. When the checks are big, it's nice, but it's nothing that I really ever, ever count on or rely on. Are you on the same page with that?
0: Absolutely. I tell people that regardless of how much they make from YouTube, whether it's a little bit, whether it's a lot, you don't want that to be more than 20% of your overall revenue. Reason being that the bottom can fall out on that a lot easier than a lot of other things. And you don't want to be reliant on something that is that can go away at a whim. So no matter how much you make from them, Make sure you're building a real business around your content and not just relying specifically on YouTube revenue.
1: Very true. So now that Techno Buffalo has been sold, the majority of my money comes from sponsorships inside or around the videos. Okay. And I know Andrew's more diversified than I am, but for me, there are two main avenues for revenue one is called an integration. And you've probably seen those in videos, Uh, a portion of this video is brought to you by whatever. And then inside of other video you're making, there's 30 seconds to a minute, two minutes, whatever it might be of another brand. Mm -hmm. So that is where a lot of our revenue comes from. And ideally, I would like to have an integration in 80% of all my videos. Now, it doesn't always pan out that way. Those integrations, I think, are an accepted means of advertising on the YouTube space, the audience, as long as they're done respectfully And honestly, I think the audience tends to tolerate those relatively well. Yeah. The other way that YouTube is sort of being used for revenue is from a sponsored video. And a sponsored video is where the entire topic of the video is from a paid brand. Yes. And I put out a video a while ago on things I will and will not do for a paid brand. I'll never do a sponsored video that's a review, for example. But that's a whole topic on a video. So CES, for example, we did a video from Hyundai's Mobus, their autonomous division. That was a dedicated video just for a sponsor traditionally, the audience doesn't always respond as well to that, meaning they don't generally watch it as much. I think as long as they're done infrequently, there's a huge amount of tolerance, though, for those type of ads. And certainly yeah. the sponsored videos themselves charge a higher premium. I like to do at most two a month. So it's not every single video. That's an example of where I kind of learned my lesson from making some mistakes in previous years. And um, your, your and
0: video output for you in particular is how many videos per month?
1: Right now, so post Techno Buffalo sale. When I had Techno Buffalo, we were doing four videos a week. It was crazy. It was too much. Now we're at about two videos a week. So we're at eight videos total per month. I'm hoping to scale that up this year to ten videos
0: per month. Okay. So you want to do one at most one per month. So one out of eight would be like a dedicated sponsored video.
1: One to two. No, never any more than that. And so that's the primary revenue streams for me. Now I have social streams as well. That I'm sure you've seen hashtag ad on on yeah. tweets and Instagram posts. Now, it used to be that those were add-ons to the integrations of the dedicated. Someone, a sponsor would buy a video, but they'd also buy a tweet or an Instagram post with it. And now it appears that Instagram is becoming more of a main platform. So Instagram monetization is something that's growing for me. You know, doing IGTV videos on things yeah. that maybe I wouldn't do on YouTube, sponsored static posts, sponsored stories, and things like that are sort of another, let's say, tertiary revenue stream. That's, I'm working to grow in 2020 and then very small for me. And this is where I think Andrew's perspective is very different are things like affiliate revenue, Mm -hmm. Amazon affiliates and that kind of thing. I don't take ad deals that are CPA deals. So that means cost per action. So I'm not taking deals where I'm getting paid by having people sign up. I only take deals based on guaranteed dollars and that's mitigated risk for me. A lot of people do it differently. Andrew, you might do it differently. You know, you may take those CPA deals. No, I do not. (laughs) I'm with you. Yeah. So a a lot of people do, though. And I think a lot of newer YouTubers take those. I think that's a fine way to monetize. But as you sort of grow and get more established, the guaranteed deal, at least in my experience, has always been a preferred way to go. So that's how I make my money. And, you know, without revealing dollar amounts or anything, if an integration costs X dollars, a dedicated, let's say, costs about 2.5 X just for perspective. And again, I'm not comfortable sharing my income. I don't think anybody should have to share their income amount but that's at least where the money comes from for most people who rely on YouTube as their, their primary revenue stream.
0: There you go. I think my business is fairly similar. So, same thing, I do integrations and videos, I do dedicated videos. I don't really have, or I've never had, an idea of I will only do this many dedicated sponsored videos versus here's what I won't do and here's where I won't include things. But I do agree that I've kind of flipped my mindset in 2020 to preferring integrations. So even though an integration is going to pay me less for the same amount of work, I feel like it's less annoying to the viewer. And ultimately why I do this is to entertain the viewer or inform or give you knowledge, or even this podcast. We do have a sponsor, we have a long-term sponsor, National Car Rental. We get a commercial break, but you're getting, you know, roughly 40 minutes of content and in the 40 minutes of content, you're gonna get 60 to 90 seconds of an advertisement, which I think is fair and you know it's easy to skip over if you really don't wanna hear it. Absolutely. Versus a dedicated video, I used to love those more because number one, they pay more, but number two, I almost felt like in a lot of ways, those videos made me learn something as well because usually it would be a product or a service that I had never used or heard of. Or maybe I've heard of it, but I've just never used it. And so it's like, we're gonna ask you to do a dedicated video about this. And then I have to learn it in order to give you the knowledge coming from me in the video. And so it felt like it was something more fun than an integration where it's usually something where it's like, okay, I already know this, but let me put a video together about this so that I can include this integrated sponsor. But ultimately, I want my videos to be, like I said, entertaining or at least informing without being annoying. Yeah. And there is definitely a fine line between those when you're trying to, you know, obviously these videos take time. I don't have a crew like you do. You have a crew, which means when you put out a video, a finished product, you had a sponsor, but you also have to pay people. You have staff that need to get paid. From this work. So, if I am expecting to watch your four to eight videos that you put out in a month, there should also be an expectation that if I like these videos so much and I'm getting so much out of them, that I can't complain that you're getting paid to do this stuff. Yeah. And I think there was a shift there over the past maybe year and a half to where the audience started to understand this. Because I definitely do remember a couple of years ago, at any point, if you had an advertiser, people would complain.
1: Oh, that was nonstop. And I made a lot of mistakes during those years. I sort of learned. But no, you are absolutely correct.
0: There's also the opposite where there's a point now where if you say anything nice about anyone (laughs) on any platform, even on Twitter, hey, I just tried out my AirPods Pro. They sound pretty good. You get 20 responses immediately. You're paid by Apple. Apple paid you like... You can't say anything because ni- then on, on the next breath, you can say, oh, I just got this new Samsung device and I'm checking it out. And you know what? The display is really nice. You're paid by Samsung. Like, do you think everybody just pays me for every line that I write on Man, the internet? W- Don't you wish? <laughs> that, that, that would be amazing. But that's not how it works. So, yeah. So talking about the other revenue streams, you did mention affiliate. Affiliate means if I put a link in, say, a video description, if you click on that link and then buy something... I will get a small percentage. Usually it's between one and 4%. So it's not a huge deal. If you spend a dollar, I'll get 4 cents or 1 cent. My biggest and most successful affiliate relationship is with Amazon, just because everybody loves to buy from Amazon. So that's usually the affiliate program that I'll use. And I'll just make a video and then I'll put a link in the description. I'll let people know, hey, if you're interested in this, check out the link in the description if you want to pick one up for yourself. And I leave it at that, but that does pretty well for me. And then I do agree that Instagram and others, other platforms are becoming their own unique distribution models that are recognized by brands now. So you'll see hashtag ad on an Instagram post or on a tweet or even on a Facebook post TikTok is coming up huge now as well. Yep, And this is why I've said for years that if you are an influencer or you want to become one, and when I say influencer, I mean, if you want to do content creation for a living, that's basically what I mean. Not that you're just influencing people to buy stuff, but if you want to make content for a living, you really should focus on diversifying your content. Don't just focus on one platform. Even if you have a main platform, I would say my main platform is YouTube, and I'm sure you'd say the same. But that doesn't mean that we ignore other platforms because there are opportunities elsewhere that shouldn't be ignored. And there's also the law of diminishing returns, you know, that putting all your time and energy into YouTube versus, you know, chopping five hours off of that and taking that five hours and putting it towards Instagram or something else, that could actually be much more lucrative for you than just putting all your energy into chasing YouTube subscribers.
1: Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Uh subscriber numbers is a vanity number at this point. It means very little. Almost 85% of all YouTube views come from the home feed. Yes. Not from subscriptions anymore. So if you're chasing subscription numbers, you're chasing the wrong metric. Chase dollars. Yeah. Could not agree more.
0: And when I say that, like it's I don't mean like exploit your audience for dollars. But when I really when I say chase dollars, what I'm saying is this is what I say, what I tell people. Don't build a YouTube channel, build a business. Think about how do I build a successful profitable business of which YouTube is a part of it. But the main way to look at it is I'm running a business. How do I make my business successful and profitable? Yeah. And usually there's no business out there except for YouTube itself. Maybe that would say YouTube subscribers. That's how I make my business successful. YouTube subscribers. It's just not, it's just not a thing.
1: No. And this is a question that we get quite a bit and I wanted to answer it. I'm sure there'll be questions that might come in. So if you have questions, you want to know more we can sort of, you know, maybe a, a small segment, every we'll podcast, every other, every other podcast kind of break this down a little bit more. Yeah. The industry is very mystifying for people who aren't in it. And I think we take for granted how it works. But I know it's very interesting for folks that aren't sort of inside of doing what we do. So as honest as we can be, we will, we'll will answer uh, those questions for you. Absolutely.
0: So yeah, any questions you have, tweet them to us, comment them to us, just let us know. And, um, We'll address them next week or going forward as they come in. But John, you, you need to get out of here because you need to get ready to hop on a plane. I need to go see these phones, man. You hyped them up. I want to see my next phone. What's going to be in my pocket (laughs) in
1: March or hopefully earlier.
0: Yes. So you'll be doing that tomorrow. I'm excited to see what your thoughts are. We'll be talking about that next week. And of course, Samsung's Unpacked is on the 11th, which coincidentally, this show is going out on the 11th. So it's today for you. So if you're curious about them, check both John and I out on YouTube. We are both going to have new content about this stuff. Lots of content. Waiting for you to watch. Correct. But that's it for this week and that is it for this edition of geared up thank you so much for listening of course you can catch john and i on youtube i'm at youtube.com gear live and john is at youtube.com john for lakers feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech speaking of subscribing you can subscribe to geared up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already just search geared up that's two words not one in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at gearlive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.